Good morning, all. Um, I thank you for praying for me. When people say, what do you need? That's what I need. Um, that's, that's not on my manuscript. I should probably look at my piece of paper. But it's, as always, it's a joy to be together. And uh, I know it's a beautiful, hot day out there. And it's getting warm in here. So I'll try not to talk too long. Um, but yeah, this is our last week with Joseph. And I really hope that you have had some new insights through Joseph's life into the character of God and how we are to live out who we are called to be. When we look back, we started out with the promises in the pit where Joseph and his brothers and his father were just living with broken relationships and broken expectations. And then Pastor Hojan brought us into the next stage of Joseph's life where it looked like he was really doing well, leading a household, and then he was thrown into prison. And then last week, Pastor Danny brought us through um, Joseph's journey out of prison into Pharaoh's home and, uh, and reminded us that no matter what our circumstances are, there are some key things, God, that does not change. So now let's see how Joseph's been doing in his new role. And we're going to see some people that Joseph has not seen for over 20 years enter back into his life, which is kind of interesting. Um, and I want to kind of set this on the foundation of one verse from the end of the passage from last week. And that is, when you think of Pharaoh in Egyptian at this kind of time, Pharaoh was God. They considered Pharaoh God. God. Pharaoh thought he was God. And yet he said this of Joseph. Can we find anyone else like this? One in whom is the spirit of God. So there's something in Joseph at this stage of his life that Pharaoh himself thought God is in this man. So I, hang on to that, because that's where we're going to head. Now, our passage today is nine chapters, so I will not be reading all of it, because no one wants to be here that long. Um, but I'll catch you up a bit. So Joseph does an amazing job with these, these seven years of bringing in all the crops and storing them in all the cities around Egypt. And so Egypt has lots of food. The famine hits. And... Egyptians all come to get the food from Joseph. And then people from other nations come and get the food from Egypt because they're the only ones that have food thanks to the dreams and Joseph's interpretation of them and Joseph's work, his work. Our work is important, his work to make it all happen, that they had food. And so even eventually Jacob, remember Jacob, Joseph's father, also known as Israel, very confusing, he sends his sons and says, we must go, you must go to Egypt and get grain. We are out of food. And so they all go except Benjamin. Benjamin's the youngest. And he was the next favorite next to Joseph. And, and Jacob said, there is no way this boy is leaving my sight. <laughs> so Benjamin stays home. All the rest of the brothers head to Egypt. And they do have no idea what's about to happen. So as we head into this part of the story, let's pray. Because Holy Spirit, we want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be challenged. We want to question. And mostly we want you to fill us so that we can see where God is in this story, where God is in our stories, and how we are to live out what you call us to be. So be present. 
And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joseph's brothers arrive in Egypt. Remember, but not Benjamin. And they bow before Joseph. And if you were here four weeks ago, you heard one of Joseph's dreams that he told his brothers, and they got really angry at, was that they, their sheaves of grain, were going to bow down to Joseph's. Now what's interesting is the brothers don't recognize him. It had been over 20 years since they sold him into slavery. They didn't know where he was. But Joseph recognized them. And he knew this dream he had. I imagine he probably went, huh, okay, that's what it meant. That's kind of interesting. So Joseph, what does he do? He accuses his brothers of being spies, and he asks, who are you? Tell me who you are. And they actually tell the truth of their story, of one brother is gone, and they have all these brothers, and they have their father, and all of this. Um, but Joseph says, I want proof of your story. You go home. You bring back your youngest brother, and that will prove to me that you are telling the truth and you are not spies. And it's interesting because at this point, for the first time in the whole story of Joseph, the brothers actually speak about the guilt they're feeling of what they did to Joseph. They say, alas, we are paying the penalty for what we did to our brother. We saw his anguish when he pleaded with us, but we would not listen. We don't hear that at the beginning of the story, but can you imagine living with that guilt for over 20 years? Guilt, that kind of guilt is why we need forgiveness. But I'm getting ahead of myself here a bit. So after 20 years, they're still feeling guilty. So what happens next in, the, in this story? Simeon, one of the brothers, is kept in prison until the brothers all come back with Benjamin. They leave with all their bags of grain and Joseph puts all the money they paid for the grain in the top of each bag. And that really freaks them out when they find it, because they thought, what is this guy doing to us? Are we going to be arrested? What's going on? So they're back home. And eventually the famine, of course, continues. And eventually they run out of grain. And Jacob does not want Benjamin to leave, but he says, but we were all going to starve. So Benjamin, you need to go with the rest of your brothers back to Egypt. And away they go. This time when they get to Egypt, they're invited into a feast in Joseph's home. That must have been a little startling, I would think. Simeon is back in their presence. Benjamin seems to be safe. They head out again with their grain. And the money again is put on top. And unbeknownst to them, in Benjamin's sack of grain is a silver cup. But they don't know what's there. So the troops come after them, search all the bags, and they find this. And they arrest Benjamin. And they say, we're bringing him back, we're throwing him in prison. And all the brothers go with him, because they say, we can't go back home without Benjamin. Our father will literally die if Benjamin doesn't come home. And so they all go back, and Joseph confronts them, trying to figure out, trying to just talk about why he shouldn't throw Benjamin in jail. Judah, another brother, offers to go into jail, to go into slavery, so Benjamin can go home. And finally, Joseph reveals who he is. Finally, finally. And this is what he says. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? It's the first question. But his brothers could not answer him. They were so dismayed at his presence. I mean, seriously, they must have been terrified. In one half, they're happy to see their brother, maybe. I don't know. They sold him into slavery. But on the other half, this is the second most powerful man in Egypt who could have them killed on the spot. So they must have been terrified. 
But Joseph says to his brothers, come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Imagine the scene. I like to think that there's tears all around, hugs, kisses, everyone seems happy. So the brothers all go back to get their father and their wives and their children, and some of them are so old they even have grandchildren at the time, and they bring them all back to Egypt. Now I think what's interesting is Jacob and all of the family knew they were leaving the land that God had promised to Abraham, who was Jacob's grandfather. And, and it was promised to Jacob and all of his descendants, and yet they were all leaving this land. Jacob grew up knowing this was the land that God's people were supposed to dwell in, so I don't think it was an instant decision to leave this land. But I love that this is the first time God speaks in all of these chapters about Joseph. And on the journey to Egypt, God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. So it's a reminder that God continued to be faithful, even though they were leaving this land. He said, I'm going to Egypt with you, and you will, your descendants will be back. So they live in Egypt, lots to eat, they thrive, and 17 years later, Jacob dies. And the brothers freak out again, because they're thinking, now that our father is gone, Joseph will probably kill us. He probably kept us alive just to help out dad. And so Joseph's brother said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong we did to him? So they approached Joseph and they said, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. What's that tell you about his heart, right? Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him and said, we are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm for me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. And then Genesis ends with Joseph's death. So it's a wrap-up of these four, four days that we have spent with Joseph. And for the next 400 years, give or take a decade or two, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will all live in Egypt. And in this finale of Joseph's life, where he's living very differently than where he began. I think there are three key things that we can learn from him on how to live a spirit-filled life like Joseph is at this point. 
Remember Farrell described him? One in whom is the Spirit of God. And for us as believers today, the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Danny was saying earlier, is given to us. And we're often told of this in the New Testament. In Acts, Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes to the people in Corinth, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and we were all made to drink on the spirit. So a spirit-filled people. What are three things we're going to learn from Joseph in his spirit-filled part of his life? First, I think it's we trust in God's power. We trust in God's power and providence for us. And we see this in a bit of the scripture we read today. When, G when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, he said, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for many survivors. So it is not you who sent me here, but God. If Joseph hadn't been in Egypt and he hadn't interpreted Pharaoh's dream, the famine could have wiped out all of humanity at that time. And again, when his brothers came to him, afraid for their lives after Jacob died, and this is such a key verse in the whole life of Joseph. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. We live unexpected lives, don't we? Each one of us. With lots of detours, just like Joseph's life. He could with confidence say, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it to, for good. And that's a phrase we need to be able to say. And I hope you can look back on your life and look at those unexpected things that happened, those detours that were used by God for good. They could be big things like Joseph's. However, I'm actually a firm believer in the little things, the little unexpected events and detours that God uses in our lives when they happen. When in your life can you see God was using something unexpected? Here's just a very short example from my life, but my father um, was diagnosed with leukemia a number of years ago now, lived for about four or five years, and he was the first father of my friend group to die. And there are so many emotions around when a parent dies, but that's not the point. The point of this was I ranted and raved at God for a very long time, honestly. And, but a few years later, other people in my friend group, their parents started to pass away. And so where I saw God in this was I could sit with them and say, I understand. Whereas if my father hadn't passed away and I hadn't had time to deal with that with God, I would not have been able to do that. So there's an unexpected detour in my life that I was able to share with others. Here's one of someone else's detour, and it actually was a literal detour that really was a God moment for me. Um, as some of you know, I have three sisters, and one of them works downtown Toronto, or did, did at that time, pre-COVID. This was way back when I worked in the bank, and uh, at this point I was working from home, but also in a Toronto office. And I had decided I was gonna quit work. 20 years in the bank, time to do something else. God called me to do something else. 
And that was the day I was going in for meetings, I was meeting with my boss, and I was going to quit. Quitting a job after 20 years, and suddenly heading into a time period with no income, and a daughter starting university too, is a really scary thing. And you know that's a God thing going, you're going to be okay, you're going to be okay. But I was still kind of, I was quite terrified. And so um, I was going to a different building than I usually do when I go to meetings in Toronto at that time. And it was pouring rain, and Toronto is a smart city in that sense. All of its main buildings in the core of Toronto have underground tunnels. And so you don't have to walk up, because it's cold in Toronto. And so they have the underground tunnels, which are great to get around from building to building and building and building, but it probably connects, what, 30 buildings? It's, it's huge. And so because I was going to an era, a building I hadn't been before, I was getting really lost. And I thought, and I was already nervous about quitting today, and it was just so much going on. I go around a corner, and there is my sister, Laura. And I just stared at her. I said, Laura, what are you doing here? She, I said, this is not your, like, you are nowhere near your building, because I knew where she worked. She said, no, I ran into someone who looked a little lost, and so I brought them to the building they were heading to, and now I'm heading back to work. And then she stared at me, and she said, you're quitting today, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. So she gave me a great big hug. We both cried a little bit, because sisters do that. And she went on her way. And I just said, thank you, God. That's what I needed. I needed that hug. So there's a little literal detour in her life that brought a God moment to mind. So I want you to think about some that have happened to you. I'd love to hear your stories of how unexpected detours in your life have brought God to others and how unexpected detours in other people's lives have brought God to you. Okay, so as spirit-filled people, we trust in God's power. He knows what's going on. And secondly, as spirit-filled people, we must show grace and forgiveness. Why did we see that in Joseph, right? How many reactions? He was thrown into a bit, a pit. <laughs> he heard his brothers saying they were going to kill him. He was sold into slavery. He had every right to be filled with this hatred that had been growing for 20 years and have them thrown in prison or killed. Revenge and hatred would have been an understandable human reaction for him. And his brothers were worried about that. And yet, we do not see that in Joseph. We see grace and forgiveness. Remember, he said to his brothers, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And he goes on, so have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way, he reassures them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph, who knew God, did not take out revenge, but he said he would take care of his brothers and his brother's descendants, even. That's the action of a spirit-filled person. Now, forgiveness can be difficult, really difficult. And I wove that into a sermon that I did last fall. I had to look up when I did it, because I, I don't know, I was just interested. But last fall, last October, if you want to hear my story of trying to forgive somebody who had hurt our family desperately, deeply, look it up. It was in October. Anyways, if we leap forward to the New Testament... And Jesus, we discovered that humans are humans, right? It's hard to forgive. And that's when Jesus' disciples, specifically Peter, asked Jesus, how many times do I have to give, forgive a brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, not seven. He said seven times seven. Seventy times seven. Now, don't get hung up on the math, okay? What Jesus really meant is you always have to forgive. Hard stop. 
if you are a spirit-filled person. Paul expands on this for us, I think, as we're, as we're spirit-filled people. In Ephesians, he says, put away from you all bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, slander, together with all malice. Put that away. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. So I want you to think about your past week. Where did you spend more of your time? Bitterness, wrath, anger, wrangling, slander? Or did you spend more of your time in forgiving, kindness, tenderhearted? Like Joseph, we're supposed to live out the qualities of forgiveness with grace. And even, you know, think of sometimes you have been forgiven. What a relief it was to be forgiven and to have that relationship start to heal. That's what living a spirit-filled life is like. Now think about who you may need to forgive. And if God is putting a name or a face on your heart, think through that today. Forgive them this week as a spirit-filled person. So as spirit-filled people, we trust God's power, we show grace and forgiveness, and ultimately we're called to live as part of God's story. Now what do I mean by that? Well, the book of Genesis is really the beginning of God's story that continues to us today and continues to all time moving forward. Our four-week series, we, four-week series based on Joseph is just Joseph's story, which is a very minor part of even Genesis and is a very, really minor part of God's whole story. Genesis is the story of the people being called to be a nation. And as Genesis wraps up, we see God doesn't leave the world alone. He's still involved, and he's faithful. Remember, he spoke to, spoke to Jacob and said, I will go to Egypt with you, and I will bring you back out of Egypt. And he's reassuring him. And it, it kind of calls back to when God first called Abraham. And Abraham, that was a big detour in his life. I want you to leave your land and go here and start a nation there. But I love in God's original promise Abraham, he adds the why he's asking Abraham to do this. And this is what he says. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now that's the call on our spirit-filled lives, as we are part of God's story. His story is vast beyond our comprehension and involves so many more people than we could even imagine. And it's about blessing others once we are spirit-filled ourselves. As one wise theologian who I just love, A.W. Tozer, puts it, a spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe Christianity. It is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, you can't say, I'm not spirit-filled. You are. It's part of God's plan. So what's our part? What's your part? What's my part in this big God story? Like the words we use with the kids, the big God story. Now, few of us can be Joseph, right? And few of us can be Peter or Paul or Martin Luther or St. Teresa or fill in your favorite teacher or preacher or blogger. Few of us can be that. And that's a good thing. 
because that's not who God created us to be. He created each one of you with a unique set of gifts, skills, personality traits, history. And it's unique to you. And I also have a unique set of all of that. What we have in common is that we were all called to live in the manner that people would recognize the spirit of God in us, just like Pharaoh did of Joseph thousands of years ago. Our part of God's story is to bless others, all the families of the earth, as God said to Abraham. As spirit-filled people, part of this blessing others is to live out the fruit of the spirit, I believe, as Paul has recorded them for us. Note it's not the fruits of the spirit. They're one entity, even though there's a bunch of words. You can't pick and choose which one you want to do. But Paul writes to us, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look closely at this list. Which aspect of the fruit of the Spirit comes naturally to you? Be grateful for those and keep at them. Now the more more difficult question is, which ones are difficult, challenging, hard work for you? Are you impatient with others in traffic (laughs) on the T? Are there aspects of your life where you need some self-control because your behavior will cause harm? Lift these up to God. I have one story to share of people who lived this out for me. And again, it's just a small little detour in life, but I remember it. I may have shared this before, but when we were living in Hong Kong, I was walking back home, and you walk through these little small streets on the way up, and um, I think I would just had a really busy day, and our Because we lived in a country where credit cards are a little, if you're using foreign credit cards, your foreign credit card um, bank gets a little upset at you. So every once in a while, our Canadian credit card would be declined just because they think someone's stolen it. So that had happened. And I was really irritated. And I'm stomping up these stairs to go home, blah, blah. Then I have to call the Bank of Canada. And four people came out of a restaurant. And they were from a different church, but I knew them well. And they stopped. They said, hey, we all talked for a few minutes. And then they said, how are you? And I said, actually, I'm not well. And I was just needed to vent. And they listened beautifully. And they were very kind. And they said, like, it'll be solved. And, and then one guy said, I think we need to pray for you. And so right in the middle of this very congested street, these four people prayed over me and my ridiculous story of this credit card. And then we all went on our way. But I thought, they lived out all of those characteristics in that moment. They did a quick detour of their life and yet changed myself and gave me another God moment. So like spirit-filled Joseph, we're called to trust God's power in everything we do. In the unexpected detours, he will use for good. We're called to show grace and forgiveness to all people, even those who hurt you deeply. And we're called to live as part of God's story, showing the fruit of the spirit to everyone around us. Let us pray. Loving Lord, uh, thank you that we are your children. 
and we are spirit-filled. May people see that in us this week. Father God, however we are treated by other people, I pray that your love will shine from within us. Whatever happens in our lives, may your peace and joy be present within us. Lord Jesus, no matter what difficulties we may encounter in life, teach us to be patient and kind in all our dealings with others and manifest the goodness and the grace in us that only can come from you. However hard times may come to us, I pray that we may be gentle and self-controlled in our actions and attitudes, drawing on your presence, Holy Spirit, to enable us to do that. May we be good and faithful servants. And God, I thank you that no matter what happens, even if we step away from you, you remain faithful. Lord, we also know that we cannot develop the fruit of the Spirit through our own effort or our own will, but only as we rest in Christ. So help us to abide in you, I pray. Amen.